Hey friends, Pastor Tom, great to be with you here today. I wonder what your relationship with the pandemic is these days. Now I know it's a funny question, but, but it changes as we go, doesn't it? It's sort of like we're making our way through these stages of grief together. Sometimes we're in denial, not wanting to face what we're going through. Other times we're agitated or angry. We're frustrated by how difficult life is right now. Some days we wake up sad and depressed, while other days we're simply resigning ourselves to everything that's happening. The fact is, I saw a meme posted a while back that matched my emotions perfectly that day. It said, I'm gonna ask my mom if that offer to slap me into next year is still on the table. Now on that particular day, I wished I could have just jumped in a time machine and transported myself to the other side of the pandemic, or maybe to fall asleep and wake up and have it all be over. But it's, it's not gonna happen like that, is it? This, this great disruption doesn't appear to be going away anytime soon. We're six months into our altered way of life. And of course, while there's hopeful signs on the vaccine front, most of us are settling into the fact that life isn't going back to normal for a while now. Now, a few months back, as, as that reality was begin to, beginning to settle on me, and as I was feeling the sadness of the loss of wasted time, I remember having this incredibly overwhelming thought. I don't want a year of my life to be wasted. I don't wanna just push pause on my life to sort of bide my time until a cure comes. I don't wanna live in a holding pattern for for the unforeseeable future. I thought, you know, when, when the history of my life is written, I don't want this year, 2020, and maybe next, to be a lost year. I want it to be a year of, of progress, of growth, of substance, and of meaning, even in, in the midst of a season like this. And I realized now that if that was ever gonna happen, I knew I would need to create some some rhythms in my life that would help me to live well during this season. It's the nature of the human spirit, isn't it? Even in the midst of hard times, we search for meaning. In the midst of disruption, we need a sense of purpose and direction. Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl stated it so well in his memoir, Man's Search for Meaning. He said, life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by a, a lack of meaning and purpose. Now, as a, our teaching team approached the fall, we were all coming to terms with all of these things, of course. And every one of us was dealing with our own set of personal circumstances. Somebody said it well, they said, we are all in the same storm, but each one of us is in a different boat. And thinking around the squares at that meeting, some, some were struggling with loneliness. Others were missing family and un, unable to travel. Others had family members with medical conditions. And some of us had way too many people in the house and not enough Wi-Fi. Same storm, different boats. And then together, we started to feel the weight not only of our personal responsibilities, but also the weight of leading people spiritually through an extended season of disruption. We came to this conclusion that, we all, that what we all needed at this time 
was a spiritual path forward. As our boxes had all been toppled over, as we were living in uncharted territory, we needed some handles to hold on to, something that had helped lead us through this disruptive moment. And we knew that you all would probably be feeling pretty much the same way. So we turned to the scriptures. We found ourselves in the Gospel of Luke. We looked at the life and leadership of Jesus, and when we did, we discovered the very thing we were looking for. We discovered that throughout Jesus' encounters with people, we found a simple but profound pattern. A, a spiritual pathway began to emerge. And we're calling it the, the upward spiral of spiritual reformation. It was a pattern that, that happened time and time again as Jesus encountered people. And we believe that as we lean into this simple pathway that God is going to use this season for our good to reform our hearts and our homes and our church this year. Now the pathway begins with disruption. It's the first step of the diagram. Last week, Pastor Brian spoke about how disruption both exposes what has been hidden and how it creates space for something new. This week, we're going to be discovering how in the midst of that disruption, we can experience an encounter with God. Or to keep the alliteration going, a divine encounter. It's the second step of our diagram. You see, disruption exposes a need or an opportunity, but it also creates space where God can show up and meet us. Now again this week, we're going to take a look at the story that's recorded in the Gospel of Luke. It's an episode that took place as Jesus was teaching and healing in the small towns outside of Jerusalem. This summer, we so enjoyed hearing the scriptures brought to life through creative storytelling that we've decided to do that again this morning. And so let's all listen as Scott brings us right into the story. In those days, word about Jesus spread quickly. And wherever he went, great crowds would gather to hear him speak and to be healed. One day he was teaching, and sitting around him were Pharisees, scribes, and religious teachers who had come from the villages across Galilee and Judea, even from Jerusalem. So many had come that there was no more room inside the building or out. As this was happening, some men were making their way to Jesus, four of them, bringing a man who was paralyzed each carrying a corner of his bed. They wanted to bring him before Jesus, but they couldn't get anywhere near him because of the crowd. Undeterred, they went up to the roof, where they moved aside some of the tiles and lowered the man down on his bed right in front of Jesus. Through the hole that they had made, the man's friends looked down, and Jesus looked up. And between those roof tiles, he saw their faith. To the man who lay before Jesus, he said, Your sins are forgiven. Well, the Pharisees and the experts exchanged looks of outrage. Forgive sins? Who does he think he is? You can't just say that. It's the same as claiming to be God. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Why do you doubt this? he asked. Which is easier, to tell someone you're forgiven or to say, get up, 
take your bed and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He looked down at the paralyzed man, and every eye in the room followed. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And before their eyes, the man rose. He picked up what he had been lying on, and he walked home praising God. And the crowd was filled with wonder. They also praised God, saying, Today we have seen something extraordinary. What a story. Now, of course, there's a lot going on here. These are the early days of Jesus' public ministry. He's just begun to make a name for himself. And through his remarkable teaching and his extraordinary miracles, he's beginning to draw a crowd of people around him. They were hanging on his every word, and they were flocking to him for healing. Now, at the same time, the religious and political leaders were beginning to get uneasy about his growing popularity. And his teaching seemed to raise a challenge to the status quo and to their authority. We're told that there, there were these conversations that were happening around the edges of the crowd. But of course, at the very center of the story is a man. A man whose body had failed him. A man whose ability to work was likely compromised. And a group of friends who, who loved him and cared for him who were willing to carry him to Jesus to see if he might find healing. And then there's a homeowner who's hosting a gathering way too large for his venue, whose, whose house isn't ADA compliant. So they, they bump up against the crowd, decide to climb on top of the place. They start digging through the roof and they lower their friend down like Lady Gaga from a Super Bowl halftime show. How interesting this is. Sickness, disease, social unrest, personal financial crisis, damage to private property. And, and there, right in the middle of it, is Jesus, right in the midst of the disruption. It's the first thing we learn from the story, and it's this, that God doesn't shy away from disruption. As a matter of fact, he's often right there in the middle of it. You know, it turns out, if you are hoping for an encounter with God, one of the best places to look is the place where trouble is brewing. Oftentimes, when things seem to be falling apart in our personal life or in the world around us, we assume that, that God isn't there, that, that he's removed himself, that he's left the scene. Maybe he doesn't care about us, or maybe he's never there in the first place. We tend to think that if he was around, things wouldn't be spiraling out of control like they are. But when we look at the life of Jesus, we always find him right there in the middle of the mess. He's always in the middle of a, a conflict around messed up people, broken bodies, or people in pain. Jesus doesn't shy away from disruption. I remember a, a season of life that when Julie and I were newly married and we were struggling to have kids. It had been a long several years. We wondered out loud, what, what was this all about? You know, the fact is we were desperate in those moments to feel God's presence. And we wondered why he wasn't fixing things and so that we could just move on with our lives like, like everybody else around us, it seemed. And yet, 
as time went on, and quite honestly, as our heartache deepened, we continued to believe that God wasn't done with us. And so with prayer and persistence, and over several years, we sensed God meeting us right there in the middle of our pain, showing us things about himself and about us that we never would have experienced apart from that difficult season. I'll share a bit more about what that looked like in a few minutes, but suffice it to say that God doesn't shy away from our disruption. Now, the second thing we learn is that when we do encounter God in the midst of our disruption, he often disrupts even more. Let's make our way back to the story. The man had been lowered to the ground before Jesus, and of course, everyone was waiting to see what Jesus would do, and waiting to see what he would say, waiting for him ultimately to heal the man. Now notice this unexpected response from Jesus. Luke says that when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now let's stop right there for a minute. How would that have settled on you? If you were the man in need of healing, wouldn't it have been tough to hear that? Your sins are forgiven? I mean, Forgiveness sounds wonderful, but what he really wanted was to be able to walk. And imagine his friend's response. They hadn't gone all this way, gone through all this trouble just to have a clergyman say something spiritual over their friend. This was disruption in the midst of disruption. So why did Jesus do that? Why didn't he just heal the man? Why the delay? It seems so provocative. It seems so disruptive. The fact is, Jesus understood that spiritual need often resides under the surface of a physical or material need. It's not that spiritual trouble causes the physical problems. This man's sin wasn't the cause of his disability. A, a pandemic isn't caused by our world's spiritual condition. But what is true is that moments of physical and material trouble often surface a spiritual need. And spiritual needs are more perplexing and intractable than, than physical condition might be. So what Jesus is demonstrating to everyone watching is that the terrain of our spiritual life is as familiar to him as are the contours of our physical bodies. And it's our inner life that matters most to him. I wonder how that lands on you today during a pandemic. Are you sensing an inner work that needs to happen in your life these days? You know, Jesus knew that this man's limbs weren't working, but he also knew that he had a spirit that was in need of a reformation. And if our inner world is going to be reformed, then what we need to do is we need to let God, when he meets us, meet us there. To expose in us the places in our spirit that, that need to be met by the forgiveness and grace and love of God. That's what Jesus was doing for this man in this moment. I wonder what it is you are asking for God these days. What are the top two or three items on your prayer list? Is it job, healing, money, a relationship? Maybe your kids' schooling or your aging parents' health. What are the spiritual needs that might be behind those requests? 
You know, often it's at our point of need and pain. That thing that's most difficult for us right now, that is the very place that God wants to meet us and do something new. Now, it doesn't take away the pain of the situation. It doesn't remove the trouble, but it provides us an element of purpose and hope. Back to that difficult season for Julie and me, as we pressed in to hear from God, we, of course, long to have him miraculously fix our bodies and, and allow us to have a child or two or three. But what we first encountered was a God who met us in our pain, working on our inner life, challenging our notions about how, the life, sh how life should work, how, how things should go, how God should get his act together and get with our plan. You know, our presenting prayer was for God to fix our bodies, but what God began to do was a work on our hearts. And so slowly and surely he began walking us through the interior rooms of our lives, our hopes, our dreams, our expectations. And over time, he began opening new doors, awakening us to new possibilities. He began broadening our vision for what he might accomplish through us as a couple. And through this season, God began to reform us. He began to give us empathy for other couples who were struggling through a similar season. We realized the importance of community beyond just our nuclear family. Our eyes began to open to the needs of children who were born into difficult situations. We started to see the need for fostering and adoption. And over these years, God has brought into our lives a very complex, delightfully diverse, unique and open family system. You see, when we encounter God in disruption, he disrupts us more, but it's always for our good. Now in the story with Jesus and the paralytic, no one was more disrupted than were the leaders of the established religious order. Those who knew exactly how God worked and how the rules of engagement were supposed to play out. Fact is, if there was a box that people kept God in, these were the keepers of that box. Let's listen again. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and he asked them, what are you thinking? Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? What's easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? And then in a massive mic drop moment, Jesus says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe, and they said, we have seen remarkable things this day. Now that's a divine encounter. I'm pretty convinced that this was the encounter that Jesus wanted all along. He wanted to unsettle the settled structures of how people perceived God. He wanted to plow through a religious landscape that had become dry and fruitless. He wanted people to know that God was, was not out there, that he is here. In him, in Jesus, God has made his way into this world. This was the divine encounter. Now, I know what many of you are saying. 
Pastor, that's a great story. But it happened 2,000 years ago. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for us here in, in 2020? What does it mean in the midst of a pandemic? What about my job, my family, my health, our country? What about whatever boat you're in right now? Whatever box you've been tipped out of? The question is, can we really expect a divine encounter in the midst of all of this? And if so, how does it happen? What does it look like? Well, a few trailing thoughts as we round the corner and make our way to the finish line today. The first thought is that if you're wondering if a divine encounter is really possible, then remember that God has already made the first move. Jesus is here. So many people think that the barrier that separates us from God is, is so vast or insurmountable that it takes a, a religious person or a religious place to have uh, an encounter with God. We think, well, maybe it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Or maybe it might never happen. But look, the whole point of this encounter was to show everyone watching that in Jesus, God made his way into human experiences. The boxes of religious life that kept God distant and aloof had been turned over. They couldn't contain this new thing that was happening. As I grew up, I often remember this story told from the perspective of the paralytic man, and especially his friends who were committed to breaking through barriers to make their way to Jesus. We're reminded of their persistence, how far they'd traveled, how strenuous their effort. They broke through barriers of distance and crowd and roof. But let's not forget the greatest barrier that was overcome in this story was the one that God overcame as he stepped out of heaven and entered into the world as a man. And in that fact, he demonstrated once and for all that he wants to have an encounter with us. God has taken down the barriers. Jesus is here. Secondly, we encounter him as we take time in the midst of our lives to lean in. You know, God has made his way into the world. He's overcome so many barriers, but he will never force his way into your life. God is the initiative taker. But an encounter with God does require our initiative as well. It requires attentive hearts and some persistent, steady pursuit. A little later in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says this. He says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Ask, seek, knock. You see, each one of these involves some initiative on our part, but each one is met by a God who is eager to meet us and responsive when we come to him. One of the reasons why I'm here in my backyard is that this is the place where I experience God fairly regularly. It's where I find myself in the morning, on my deck, often with my wife, asking God the question, where are you, Jesus? What are you up to? What do you want of me? The fact is this season of pandemic has given us an opportunity to to create and to reestablish some some pretty vital rhythms. Morning time on my deck has been where we've been pressing in. And it's here where we've been gathering with our family and some friends on Sunday mornings as well. Now, 
Not every moment with God is filled with spiritual electricity, but through times on the porch, I sense God meeting us and leading us. And it often happens as we persist with our questions, with our seeking, with our knocking, that we find God ready to meet us in those moments. Third, when we're seeking God, let's take the journey with friends. That picture in Luke of the friends traveling together has always been one of my favorite images. I imagine the conversations that led up to that moment I always wondered who it was that came up with this crazy idea to carry their friend in. I picture their friendship and their camaraderie, their shared experiences. I picture the guy in the back yelling to the guy in the front right corner, hey, pick up your end a little bit. You're slouching up there. A journey towards Jesus is always best taken with others. That's why at Grace Chapel we provide places where people can meet and do just that, where you can meet each other, where you can grow together, Discover a group of friends with whom you can share your lives to seek God together and to serve. We're encouraging you today to join one of these groups. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in a place where you're just starting out on your spiritual journey. You've just begun to think about these things. Maybe you've got tons of doubts you need to work through or questions you need to ask. We have group, a group called Alpha. It's a great starting place Uh, You'll meet some people who you can walk with and maybe who might carry you along for a bit. Or maybe you're finding yourself perplexed or saddened about where we are as a society in the midst of a really challenging cultural moment. Maybe you recognize some inner work that needs to be done in your own spirit around matters of, of race and justice. Our bridge groups are starting up as well, using Latasha Morrison's book, Be the Bridge, to guide the discussion. You can do that with a group of others. And of course, lots of other groups are meeting, growing together, encouraging each other, praying for each other, making their way to Jesus together. The great thing about many of these groups right now is that you can be anywhere to join them. So many of them are meeting virtually. Some are meeting safely in person, taking advantage of the weather. But there's never been an easier time to join a group of grace than it is today. The fact is we need community now more than ever. We need people in our life now more than ever. We all need to stay connected. So don't wait and get with a group of folks at the beginning of the fall season. And then finally and lastly, an encounter with God is not the end. It's just the beginning. You see, the man and his friends, their search didn't end at the feet of Jesus. Rather, it's there that their lives really began. A divine encounter, an experience with God, it's not the end of our pursuit. It's the beginning of a new journey. Recently, our small group has been working through a devotional classic by Henry Blackaby. The the book is entitled Experiencing God. And in one of the very early chapters, Blackaby starts with these strong words. He says... God never communicates with us merely to give us a warm devotional thought for the day. When God shows us himself, he invites us to join him in his activity. How important it is for us to come to God ready to have him take us where we go. 
And so in this disruptive moment, may we seek God, may we find him, and may we be ready to move with him wherever he leads us. Let's pray. Lord God, we are reminded today that you love us, that you long for us to encounter you, that you've made your way near and you've granted us access to your divine nature and your compelling invitation. God, in our distress, we turn to you. We invite you to be who you've said you are. Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.